Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ba'dihi alladhi nastafa Amma ba'd A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Faman kana yarju diqa'a rabbihi Falyamal amalan saliha Wala yushrik bi'ibadati rabbihi ahada Sadaqallahu al-azim Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Jazakumullah khairan everyone for coming to the Mahab Foundation Sacred Knowledge Class on the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us, for granting us iman we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his family and his progeny and his wives and his companions and all those that followed them in their ways. <coughs> so moving along this week, Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he brings two names together which are Al-Muhyi and Al-Mumit. So Al-Muhyi Al-Mumit. These are two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Muhyi which means the giver of life and Al-Mumit which is the giver of death. So these are two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are the great, amongst His great names. And they are connected to some of the names that have passed before. So Imam Ghazali rahimullah brings, he mentions that it's Al-Muhyi, which is the one who gives life, is connected to existence and connected to Al-Ba'ith, which is the one who resurrects. It's connected to those things. However, what's different, slight difference, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, although He is the one who brings into existence, how is it different to say He's the giver of life? Because something can be in existence but not have any life. Right? So for example, you have like tables and chairs. These things exist, but they don't, they don't have life per se. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He molded Adam al-Islam. He molded His body, yet there was no life in it at the time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the soul, and when He put the soul into the body, then there was life. So similarly, we say that, for example, when a woman conceives uh, and begins expecting a child, the child does not actually have life right away. Although it grows, it doesn't have a life immediately. Only after the soul enters, which is uh, after like 40 days, I believe, right? That is when uh, life comes into it. Is it 40 days or 120 days? I think it's 40 days, right? That the soul is put into it and then it's considered a life, right? Um, I think it's 40 days. I always get mixed up in this. Anyway, in the beginning, it doesn't, it's not actually considered life. So that's why like in terms of abortion and whatnot, first of all, it shouldn't be done. I don't want to open up a can of worms and go off topic, but <laughs> it's not something that should be done. But obviously there are certain situations where it's necessary, right? And so like the mother's life is given preference over the child's life um, when such a circumstance arrives. But um, if it is to be done, it is to be done before the soul is put into the, in, into the, into the child. Right? And obviously there's details and what, but there's not a blanket in Islam. There's not a blanket yes, nor a blanket no. Um, but it is Islam, as in everything, there's a middle path. And so things can be in existence but not have a life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings something into existence and then He gives it life. So when the object is life, um, when the object is life, then it means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives life. Okay? And similarly, 
it's something that something can come out of existence, but if it never had life, then it's you can't say that it's, it death has been brought to it. <coughs> Only once it had life, then could you say Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave it death as well. So there is a um, a, a qissa, a story in the Quran regarding Ibrahim al-Islam and Namrud. So Namru- Namrud was the king of Babylon, who was, you know, similar to most of those that the Anbiya were sent to, felt themselves to be some type of god, because they became so arrogant uh, that it eventually it took them to that point where they claimed they claimed godship. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Alam tara haja Ibrahima fi Rabbihi." That do you not see? Have you not seen? The one who disputed with Ibrahim al-Islam regarding his Rabb, regarding his Lord. An atahullahu al-mulk. That uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought him, gave him dominion, gave him sovereignty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him kingship. إِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّيَ الَّذِي يُحْيِي وَيُمِيدُ So Ibrahim al-Islam, this person, Namrud, he, he claimed godhood. Ibrahim Alaihissalam goes to him and he's trying to bring him back to the right path. So he says that my Rabb uh, is the one who grants life. Rabbi Alladhi, my Rabb, my Lord is the one who yuhi wa yumit. He grants life and he gives death. So you're claiming to be God. Do you give life and, and give death? Qala ana wa umid. He said, yeah, I give life and I also give death. So he brought two prisoners. He set one free and he killed the other. He said, so you see, I give life and I give death. So Ibrahim al-Islam, he doesn't go further into this particular discussion. He switches it up. And so this is if you, like the books of Mantiq, the books of logic, bring, up, bring this, this notion up. Ibrahim al-Islam's style, his method here. That rather than delving deep into, the, into well, what do I mean by uh, giving life and granting death, that would have been a discussion that would have you know, uh, gone into, gone down another path. But Ibrahim is looking at him like, obviously this guy hasn't understood what that means, giving life and giving death. So the, the qissa goes on, he says, قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْتِي بِالشَّمْسِ مِنَ الْمَشْرِقِ فَأْتِي بِهَا مِنَ الْمَغْرِبِ That my Rabb, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He brings the sun from the east, so you bring it from the west. So he said, okay, you think you give life and give death? Well, my, my Allah, He brings the sun from the east, and He sets it in the west, so why don't you do the opposite? The one who disbelieved, he was baffled. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not guide the, the, the evil people. So half of that ayah is a different topic. But Ibrahim alayhi declares this, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that gives life and gives death. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings these notions up regularly throughout the Qur'an. Regularly throughout the Qur'an. Regarding different types of life as well. And all of these are signs. So the ulama mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gave us the ability to seek, to eat, to live, to sleep, to build, to hear, to think. He gave us so many different abilities. And life is also a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Life is not our own doing. And our bodies are not our properties. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted us life. And so the only thing that belongs to us is the choices that we make. That's the only thing that belongs to us, the choices that we make. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us authority over. And so we have to, because we don't really have a share. What is our share? We don't really, in the literal sense, have a share in, yuhi, in al-muhi and mumit, the one who gives life and who grants death. 
In a spiritual sense, yes, and we'll get into that. So he says that we only have a choice, uh, we only, the only thing that belongs to us is the choices that we make. Now, the ulama mentioned that there's five different types of death. Five different types of death. So, these are, now some of these are not literal, okay? So you say number one is the power of growth, which is inherent in man, in animal, in plants, the power of growth. This is a type of life. Uh, and so the, 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 you know, not doing that or going the other way, right, coming down away from growth, shrinking, you could say, is a type of death. Number two is the loss of the sense of feelings. When you no longer have, you can say when you can't feel something physically, or you could also say from an empathy standpoint, right? The lack of having empathy. This is a type of death. So like, you know, the tyrants of the world, they may be alive physically, but they have experienced a type of death. When you can no longer, uh, when you become desensitized to feeling. You know, so for example, you have Fir'aun, Right, was what Ramses the second, the the Pharaoh of Musa Islam, when he put his he put his wife Asiya, he he strung her up and he pulled her apart. Like no empathy, right? So people go into that now. We become desensitized to the things around us. That's why it's kind of interesting with Facebook and whatnot. We share and share and share so much images of Syria, this and that. We have to be careful that we don't become desensitized to these things. And that's a, that's a problem with a lot of the video games and the movies and all that stuff that is out. It desensitizes us to the loss of life. So we have to check ourselves for that, make sure. I mean, even like doctors that work in the ER, every so often they have checkups through work with a psychologist to make, because they're, they're seeing so much pain and suffering all around them on a regular basis working in the ER, that they get checkups from psychologists to make sure that you haven't lost it. <laughs> you know, that you don't feel like this lack of empathy is not uh, making sure that's not present in you, you know. Number three is the loss of ability to reason. When you can no longer reason. This is like a type of, you know, when somebody becomes, you can say somebody becomes senile. Or they just, sometimes in a state of anger, right? You, you can no longer reason with an individual. Or when so much hate permeates from somebody. You, they lose the ability to reason. And so this is also a type of death. Number four, grief which renders life unenjoyable and, and paralyzing in a sense. You experience so much grief that it's paralyzing. A lot of the country is feeling that right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we can't let all of these things, we, we shouldn't allow these things to overtake us. We shouldn't become, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, there's right now, for example, with the presidential elections, a lot of people are feeling scared and whatnot, you know. But that's somewhat legitimate, you know, when you have that type of fear. People go into a state of paralysis when their sports team loses. You know, a few years ago, I wasn't here when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. Okay, they won. Everyone, my brother told me, everyone came to the masjid in their Seahawks jerseys and uniforms, and everyone's going crazy. The following year, when they lost, nobody came that day from Maghrib. No one came, you know, or Isha, whatever it was, because they were too depressed. <laughs> That's too much. That's taking our sports a little bit too far, you know, <laughs> getting too caught up in it. You know, so, so grief, which, grief which renders life unenjoyable and paralyzing is a type of death. And the last type of death is sleep. And it's been mentioned that sleep is the sister of death. It's a type of light sleep. Part of your soul actually leaves your body. And that's why they say, um, 
for example, what's the word? Uh, deja vu. Right, so deja vu, the ulama actually explain it from an Islamic standpoint. That what, is, what is deja vu? When you just feel like you've seen something, you know, like I, I've experienced this before. They say the heavens, the seven heavens are like containers of knowledge where everything that things like, it's like all the things to be, to happen, that have happened are, it's almost like, it's, and maybe not the perfect example, but it's like a TV screen. That things are, whatever is going to happen, whatever has happened, it's like there, present, you know, in the heavens. And so when you sleep, your soul leaves your body, right? Part of your soul leaves your body and it travels around the barzakh. So the barzakh is between the seven heavens and the seven earths. And the heavens are different from paradise, different from Jannah. So it could be, it, it's possible that your soul goes into one of these heavens, not into Jannah, but it goes into one of these heavens. And witnesses, experiences something, it sees something, and you dream. Not to say that all of your dreams are, you know, what you see in your dreams, you're, you've gone into the heavens and you're seeing this thing. That's not, that's not what's happening. But one of the possibilities is that you see these things. And so when you experience deja vu, you think, I, definitely this exact thing has happened before and I've seen it. It's that your soul possibly traversed into the heavens and witnessed something that was going to happen. <clears throat> and so sleep is the sister of death. That's why you shouldn't actually shake someone awake like you know when you scare them you, you scare them awake and they freak out and they jump why does their heart pound like that because you've forced their soul back into their body too fast something some of the ulama have mentioned I mean no it's just you know the people who are more pious can maybe have more control over those things um, but you know it's just something that happens Sometimes, you know, yeah. The 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 soul traversing and all that. No, it's not. It's not mentioned specifically in the Quran. This is something that the ulama have inferred upon. Okay. So then the <coughs> um, the what's it called? Uh, Imam Ghazali goes on speaking of Muhi and Mumit that. He speaks about a thankful servant. So what, what can we do? Uh, and how do we reflect on these names? That a thankful servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he puts that thanks into action through obedience and serving the creation. So he tries to bring the creation to life. Now, not life in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives life, because that's already been done by Allah and it can only be done by Allah. But they try and bring life to the creation by serving them and being obedient to Allah and connecting them with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This individual, so what does that mean? To bring the hearts to life. This individual works hard and continuously as though not going to die. So that's interesting. We usually we say, well, live as though, you know, practice your life as though you're going to die at any moment. So there's two aspects to that. You know, one is that you should plan for the future and work, like for example, work for the community as though you will live forever. Meaning you're continuously putting at it. Because if you know you're going to die tomorrow, you're not going to make big grand plans. So we should be far-sighted, and in that sense, we should plan as though we're going to live forever. That's why you know the the communities we establish, those things that we uh, organizations we establish, we should be thinking long-term. That how can I set this thing up or or help set this thing up such that it will survive beyond me? You know, such that it serves, it survives beyond me. But also continuously remember death and 
Practice your life as though you will die tomorrow, meaning stay away from sin as though you are going to die tomorrow. Right? There's many people that, uh, for example, they're given, you know, they get cancer or whatnot, and the doctor tells them, you got a month to live. The tawbah that these people make is like on another level because now they have this yaqeen that I'm, this conviction that I'm going to die at any moment. And sometimes it doesn't come at that time. But that's how, that's how we should be making tawbah. That's how we should be staying away from sin. You know, and so foolish is the person who's been given, who's been told that you're going to die in a few weeks' time, and they're like, man, let me just live life to its fullest right now, and then they engage in all types of sin. You know? That person is foolish. That person is foolish. But foolish is also that we think, we think that it's almost surreal to us that death will never come to us. Because whether you believe in Allah or not, whether you believe in you know, how things came into existence or not, whatever religion you have, don't have a religion, whatever the case, everyone agrees that death will come to us all. So sometimes we get caught up with Dajjal and all that also, right? Well, let's give me stories of Dajjal. Yeah, we should know the stories of Dajjal, right? The, the false Christ and whatnot that's going to come. How do we prepare for him? If he is to come in our time, Allah protect us, is to prepare for your death. Because death will definitely come to us. So if we prepare for our death, then that preparation of, against Dajjal will already have been made. Okay? So then he says that we have to bring our hearts alive. And the heart that is filled with the beasts of the world is dead. Whereas the one that is cleansed of those beasts becomes pure and then it becomes we have to make our hearts the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to engrave the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala onto our hearts through righteous actions, through connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Focus on the quality of our actions rather than the quantity of our actions. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to weigh our deeds on the day of judgment. Right? They're not counted, they're weighed. That's why the penny given sincerely in, uh, out of sadaqah, for sadaqah, is worth more than a trillion dollars given out of arrogance and pride to show off. Technically what? The way you look at it, if it was counted, that trillion should count for more, but it doesn't. It doesn't weigh as much. So we have to focus on the quality of our actions. Connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Imam Razi, rahimullah, he mentions, in his uh, great Mufassir and Faqih, he mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives life to the bodies through the soul. So a body without a soul is lifeless. It looks the same, right? If you look at a body 10 minutes, five, five seconds before it dies and five seconds after it dies, it looks the same pretty much. The difference is that the soul is not there. So the soul is what gives life to the bodies and life to the soul is through knowledge and through what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests from the unseen, from the knowledge of the unseen. So. The life of the body is the soul, and the life of the soul is knowledge. And the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says that we are a, we're a combination of flesh and soil. Oh, sorry, flesh and soul. soil. Our flesh is soil, right? We are a combination of flesh and soul. So flesh is visible and temporal, whereas the soul is hidden and eternal. We have to focus on the life of our soul. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he mentioned, he was asked, why do you go out and make dhikr every day? He would used to go out into the desert and make dhikr every day. So they asked him, why do you do that? He said, because if you don't eat, your body will not be nourished. And if I don't go out and make dhikr every day, my soul will not be nourished. Just as your body will die without food, my soul will die without dhikr. That's how important it is that we make dhikr. And they mentioned that uh, in life, the body is under the order of the soul. So the body is controlled by the soul. And that's, we have three... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an three types of souls, right? The nafs mutma'inna, the nafs that is, the soul that is uh, pure, 
and only encourages and wants to do good. And then there's the soul that's in the middle, right? Which is sometimes does good, sometimes does bad. And then there's the nafs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, that, describes as amaratu, uh, amaratun bisu, right? That soul that is only inclined to evil, and that is the lowest of souls. So your body, is control, is, your body acts according to how your soul is. And we have, a, you know, we, have, we have a way to make our soul better, to purify our soul, and cleanse our soul. So the body, yeah. Wait, so are those parts of the same soul or different types of soul? Those are different stages of the soul. Different yeah, like the soul can be one of those three things. Okay. Right? So he says that <clears throat> in life the body is under the control of the soul and in death, if you don't live a good life, meaning a life that is obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then in death, what happens to that soul? In death, that soul is like a king that's lost its kingdom. You're sitting in your grave, barren, feeling that sense of loss. You know, just as a king who was sitting on top of the world now has nothing, his whole dominion has been taken away from him, similarly, is that soul that doesn't live a life of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So either we're going to be sitting bankrupt and cold and in pain and in hunger in our graves, or we will be rejoicing. We're going to be relaxing. We're going to be comfortable. So we have these two options. And he says that uh, when the nav- when we, if, we ne- if the negative forces of the ego in one's heart become dead, so we have negative forces that empower our egos, if those become dead, then the soul becomes illuminated with divine light. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ That whoever is hopeful in the meeting of his Lord, فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا Then let him do righteous deeds. وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا And that nobody should worship anyone, any, uh, should, no one should worship anyone except his Rabb. There should be no partner associated with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. And there's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we mentioned, what? Al-Muhiyat and Al-Mumit. The one who gives life and the one who gives death. So death will come to us all. And Rasulullah mentioned in a hadith, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ أَحَبَّ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ That whoever loves to meet his, whoever loves the meeting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to meet him. وَمَنْ كَرِهَ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ كَرِهَ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ And whoever dislikes to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes to meet with him. So when the Prophet was passing away, then he was given the choice. You can live, in, you can live a life immortal in this world and we will make you the king of the entire world or you can choose to die and the Prophet said that I choose the highest companion right and those are his last words and he died on that right that I choose the highest companion any questions yeah just a quick question on that part what if someone okay you said that you know if someone loves to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah loves to meet them what if you, you, you want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but you're very remorseful. You're like, man, how you know? I want to. I would love to meet Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, worthy of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So that's a good. That's a that's that's a good state to be in, right? Because you are desirous to meet of Allah. That's a sign that you love Allah. Yet you're humbled. Uh, and, and feel some sense of shame possibly at the sins that we've committed, but also so there's shame because the sins we've committed, but also humbled that like this great being. I'm not worthy of being in that, of meeting him, right? So that's humility. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Yeah. You question? No. Okay. Yeah, so that's, that's a good state to be in.
And then the next names that Imam Ghazali goes on to is Al-Hayyul Qayyum. So Al-Hayyul Qayyum, probably the most famous verse that these two names are mentioned in is, what? Umar Radno came out and asked the people that who, what is the greatest verse of the Qur'an? The Ayatul Kursi, right? The verse of the Kursi. So this is a verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the greatest single verse of the Qur'an. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, it's, Essentially, it's a praise of the divinity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And he mentions Al-Hayyul Qayyum, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions his attributes and mentions that he is Al-Hay, he is the one who li- he is the one that is living, and Al-Qayyum, the self-existing. So these two names are also mentioned together, uh, or they're not mentioned, they're mentioned together meaning in sequence, typically. But Hay, Al-Hay is that the one who lives. So very, sh- it's a very short, uh, uh, it's a short paragraph that Imam Ghazali mentions, saying that the life of everything is held within the limits of realization and activity. So the life of everything is held within the realization, the limits of realization and activity. Meaning, something is alive as much as it can realize something, as much as as much activity as it has. Okay, and those are the signs of life. So when they end, life also ends. When you, cannot, when you can no longer realize something, when you no longer have activity, this is also a type of death. Right? So this is also why it's brought after, possibly why it's brought after these last two names which we mentioned. And so he says that people differ in their aliveness, in their sense of how much they are alive by the knowledge that they have. The more knowledge that you have, the more alive you are the more free your mind becomes with that knowledge. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said on the tongue of Rasulullah that what, nobody, uh, two things will never satisfy a person. What are they? Wealth, amassing wealth, and amassing knowledge. Right? These are two things that a person never becomes satisfied in. And it's crazy. People will read the same book over and over and over and over again. And they'll be like, yeah, I just love this book. Every time I read it, I, I learn something new. Right? There's like a sickness of buying books. You know, people just buy books. They won't even read them. They'll just buy it because of the knowledge that it contains, hoping to one day, you know, access that knowledge. And so he says that the people differ in, the, in, in how alive they are based on the knowledge that they have. And the lowest degree of knowledge is awareness, awareness and knowledge of oneself. So lowest degree of knowledge is the awareness a person has of themselves. Now, this entails that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is him being alive, him being al-hay, is it demands that he has no limit in how much knowledge he has either. And that's why we mentioned he is alim, right? And khabir, and, and shaheed, and these other, these other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he is, so we all have life, but our life is, and we've mentioned this many times before, our life is, it's contingent on something else, right? Similarly, al-qayyum. Al-Qayyum is the self-existing, the self-subsistent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not dependent upon anyone else. And His life is not dependent upon anyone else. His life didn't come into being at one point. He always was. Whereas our life had a beginning. Our life has an end also. Right? Our soul doesn't have an end, but that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it that way. But our soul doesn't, it's, it's still contingent and dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sustaining it. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sustained by Himself. There's a whole interesting discussion about these two names, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, that 
every single atom in the body, for example, is based is, is dependent upon something else. So we discuss matter, for example, right? The whole discussion we've had several times about, you know, well, we all came from matter and whatnot. Even that is dependent upon something else, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not dependent upon anything. Every morsel of our body is dependent on something else. So even something that might seem like it's independent, right? For example, you might have a king. So you have a king, and that king seems like he's independent of everything. But that king is the most dependent person in the entire kingdom because he's dependent upon his soldiers to keep him safe, upon his farmers to grant, you know, get to cultivate the land, upon the, all the different workers to make everything, right? Upon the economy, upon all the the people that they seem that they deem to be insignificant are contributing to the society. You know, so like today's society might not think much of people who collect the garbage, right? Nobody says I want to be a garbage man when I grow up. But if you think about it, society is so dependent upon them. Right? We are so dependent on those individuals that tells us that we have no right to think ourselves as better than them. Right? That maybe they're doing a job no one wants to do, but they're doing one of the most necessary jobs. You know, when you think about the life, the towns and stuff that they used to live in back in the day, what would happen? There was like feces and stuff everywhere. Right? Because of the animals. People used to, they used to just, like in, in, in the Middle Ages of Europe, Dark Ages, they used to what? <laughs> they used to just throw it out the window. Right, So everything is connected, even the things that seem to be independent are dependent upon those that they seem to be the most dependent. You know? Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely independent of everything. Now, in, in matters of aqidah, there's 20, there's 20 um, foundational attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are more attributes, but there's 20 foundational ones. And five of them are categorized as what's called salbiyah. So sifatul salbiya, the, 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 the quality or attributes of salbiya. Salbiya is every attribute which negates their opposites and what is not befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So al-hayyul qayyum fall into this. When you study aqidah, then you, study, you realize very quickly that we cannot understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. The only way we can get closer to understanding a little bit is to know what He is not. That's what we try to do. We try to understand what he is not because we can't know what he is. Right? So you have Laysa Kamithrihi Shay, that there is nothing akin to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing like him. So if you can imagine something to be Allah, that means that it's not Allah. Okay? That's the foundation. And then there's these other uh, uh, categories as well. So Sifatul Salbiya is that without it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it negates the opposite. That attribute which negates their opposites. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al Hay. That means he is not dead. Because death would be a deficiency. And he is al-qayyum, he is self-existing. Because if he was not, if he was dependent, that would also be a deficiency in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he has no deficiency. Okay, so al-qayyum comes from, in, in, in language, it shares a meaning of being the master or the organizer of affairs. So there's, Imam Ghazali, he mentions, I'll just read, the, read to you what he says. That if an existent, were to exist, whose essence would suffice for itself. So if something were existent, and it were to exist in such a way that its essence sufficed for itself, whose subsistence would not be from another, so it's not dependent on anything else, and whose existence would not be conditioned by the existence of another, then you could say that it would subsist in itself absolutely. And if beyond that every existent everything that exists, if beyond that it subsisted by virtue of it, 
every existence subsisted by virtue of it. So every other existent thing is dependent upon that thing by virtue of that one thing, such that the existence and conservation of things would be inconceivable without it. So they could not survive without that thing we, that we just mentioned in the previous paragraph. That would be the self-existing one, since it subsisted in itself, and everything else subsists by its virtue. A lot of S's there. <laughs> right? So that is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing else that, that fits. Nothing, that, that description fits nobody but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now these two names also, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, are some of the ulama have mentioned that these are the greatest names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we mentioned before that Allah is, some say this was the Ismul Adam, the greatest name of Allah. Some say that Al-Hayyul Qayyum is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I didn't come across them saying that this, these are the Ismul Adam because they're two names also. So maybe, maybe, some, maybe the ulama have mentioned that Allah is Ismul Adam, which we cannot say for sure. We don't know that that is the greatest name of Allah, like the... The Ismul Adam, which is mentioned in the hadith, that whoever uh, calls upon Allah by this name becomes incumbent that Allah Ta'ala answer his prayer in the way that it is. For some of the ulama mentioned that is, that Ismul Adam is Allah, but we cannot say for sure. We don't know. Okay? Yeah, you just mentioned all of Allah's names. That's, that's actually a method the ulama do, particularly on like the, the, you know, during Ramadan and whatnot. They'll make du'a and they'll call on every single name, all 99 names of Allah. You can't lose, man. Here you go. <laughs> you know? Works, work smarter, not harder. There are, yeah. Yeah, that's what my boss used to say to me. Work smarter, not harder, you know. Uh, there are more than 99 names as well, you know. <laughs> okay, but, um, so many mention that this, these are the greatest names of Allah. And they mentioned that when Isa, salam, when he used to revive the dead, he used to use these names. He used to take the permission of Allah and he used to call upon Allah, Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum, and he used to revive the dead. They say also that Musa when he split, when he parted the sea, he used these names. He was asked, what did you do to split the sea? He said, I, I called upon Allah by these names. And Ali, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, he says that I used to, on the battle of Badr, I used to go back and check on the Prophet sallallahu regularly to make sure he was okay. And I would find him in, a, in, in sujood, calling upon Allah by these two names, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum. And there's many, you know, there's other ahadith that a person is going and he's praising Allah and praising Allah and praising Allah. And when he mentioned these two names, the Prophet said that he has truly praised Allah. And these two names, as we mentioned, also come in Ayatul Kursi. It's also mentioned on a side note that a person who has a bad memory should recite Yaqayyum regularly and inshallah that'll increase. It's also mentioned that you should make istighfar a lot, right? Increase in your istighfar. Astaghfirullah Rabbi min kulli or just say Astaghfirullah and this will also do it in abundance and it will take care of all of your needs will be fulfilled and your memory will also increase it's true man I tried it you know in my fifth year <laughs> one of my teachers told us that and I was in my second to last year and uh, I was just doing it regularly I was kind of you know worrying about the exams and uh, I fifth year of my, my alam course yeah fifth year <laughs> And uh, I was worried about not the book that he taught. He didn't teach us a book that year. Um, but uh, it was his expertise, his specialty of usul hadith. And he was writing the test for it. So I was kind of freaking out. But I tried it, man. I memorized the whole like, portion of that book that, needed to, that didn't need to be memorized. And I just, he asked a question on there. I just wrote the whole thing out. And, uh, you know, <laughs> took care of it. <laughs> not the whole book that we studied. So it's like you have the whole book, right? But... In the book, you have the bold, which is the original text, and everything additional to that is uh, commentary. The original text, one portion of it, not the whole book, but it was enough to 
impress him, I guess. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't check to make sure you weren't like, uh... Yeah, I didn't check during the... No way. There's like, there's like eight teachers walking around making sure nobody's cheating, man. <laughs> For me too, I took a walking test. Huh? Huh? Right. Anyway, so they, they mentioned that understanding the dependence of the body on the soul gives us some insight into the world and how it is dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we mentioned what? That the soul is the life of the body. So if we if we understand that relationship then he gives us a little bit of insight as to how everything else is dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. It says that man's access to this attribute is in proportion to his detachment from everything that is not Allah the Most High. So the more we become detached from everything that is other than Allah, the more we can take from this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. Any questions? Can I ask you an unrelated question? Sure. So, so, this, so I just thought of this when I was praying Lahaira this morning or afternoon. So in Salah, 